The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 19 to introduce our thoughts. I've uh, had on my mind ever since our meeting this weekend, so thankful for the Holy Spirit blessing the preaching all throughout that meeting, especially on, on Saturday, and, and Brother Tim McCool, the last message, as he spent some time looking at the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 and some of the characteristics of lukewarm and uh, very beneficial exhortations in that message. But he had a phrase that, that I've just not been able to get out of my mind since that message and then our conversations at our house that evening. And that is the God of all possibilities. The God of all possibilities. Matthew chapter 19, and this is right on the, the hills of the rich young ruler and and him not following the Lord in faithful discipleship in the manner that he ought to, and he went away sorrowful. And uh, then the, the disciples say, well, who then can be saved? This is in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 25. And this is certainly applicable in eternal salvation. It's even applicable in timely salvation. Uh, but it, I believe it also has a broader principle as well. They asked who then can be saved. And then in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26 with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And as I've meditated on that these last few days, I just realized how much I view God from solely a natural perspective. Right. And, you know, some, something happens and something comes in my life, and you may be the same, uh, same as me, that especially negative circumstances. And then in my mind... You know, there is no real, quick, reliable, positive outcome. And my immediate mindset is not to think, wow, God could really do some amazing things where it looks like there's no real possibility. And my, instead, my natural mindset is, man, how are we going to get out of this one? You know, how, how is this going to work out? And, and I just realized as I've kind of thought through that, how, how faithless my mind is in my natural approach when things come like that. In, instead of remembering the fact that God is the God of all possibilities. You know, uh, when I, just something as simple as uh, when I first found out uh, that we weren't going to be able to renew at the La Quinta Inn. And I started calling the other hotels in town, and I realized we were getting the hotel dirt cheap over there. <laughs> and that's not the market rate in town, and they just wasn't near as good of a setup. And I called everybody, and there, was, there were other free options, but not, not a good setup. And there, there was about a week there where I was like, man, I don't really know where we're going to go. And then, of course... Thankfully, uh, God's providence works through family connections sometime. Appreciate Brother Joe Ott to contact his brother-in-law. And, and now we have this very nice facility. I think this is going to be a great location for us in the future, Lord willing. 
And, and we pray that God will use this as, as a new open door. But I'll tell you, there was about a week there where I was like, man, I don't know where we're going. And I was, just, I was kind of flabbergasted there for a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen. And then, lo and behold, we have this great opportunity that I didn't see. I didn't see, but then God opened the door. And see, that's, a, that, that's an important lesson in walking by faith and not by sight, right? Because we get our mind solely set. We reach a natural conclusion based on my assessment of the situation. And for some reason, I don't think that anything other than that can occur. It's like it's inevitable. I mean, I mean we're definitely not absoluters in doctrine, but our mindset sometimes gets, gets in a, an absoluter mindset that, you know what, this is going to happen and there's nothing I can do to change it. There's a lot of things that we can do to, to affect outcomes in our life. So God is the God of all possibilities. And, and I really just want us to meditate, and, and this, is, this is more of a message to, to spur your mindset when we leave. I don't know if this is necessarily uh, anything new and uh, if it's anything that is uh, groundbreaking uh, other than the fact of us just realigning our ability to see God more clearly for who he is. Okay, Um, Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. I I believe this is such a very interesting uh, conclusion. to this doctrinal portion of the book of Romans. And he's getting into all of these, these deep theological truths. And now he's about to shift to some more practical exhortations in the final, uh, in the final chapters of the book of Romans. And um, actually, again, it's, it's a, he's concluding this doctrinal portion, but this is right in the aftermath of him affirming the fact that Verse 32, God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. In other words, there's judicial blindness of the Jews that he's dealing with here in this chapter. There's other people that are children of God but are at that time antagonistic toward the gospel. They're enemies of the gospel. But God saved us anyway. And it's almost like he gets in full, full-fledged preacher mode and he just starts thinking about it. And he's saying, wow, how amazing is God's grace? How amazing is the fact that he saved us even he counted us all. All in unbelief. <laughs> he counted us all in unbelief. How amazing is God's grace toward all these wretched sinners? And then he, he just gets to, I think he just gets, as a nat, now obviously the Holy Spirit is, is inspiring this through him. But I believe Paul just gets so overwhelmed with everything he's been writing for 11 chapters. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom And the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who hath known the mind of God or hath been his counselor. His ways are past finding out. Hopefully we're going to conclude in Ephesians chapter 3, if I don't get too sidetracked, but I want you to, to think about this while we continue to go through this message, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Right. I mean, the, the greatest capacity that your mind can fathom, God can and will blow it out of the water. Amen. God will literally blow your mind. Amen. 
and, and, and he won't just blow your mind. He's going to blow even above and beyond what your mind can think. Right. And we forget about that. I forget about that. That God can do anything. But yet, this is a very sobering thought. Sometimes he limits himself because we limit him. Yeah. Okay? He limits himself because we limit him. Genesis chapter 18 is the account where Jesus, or at least Jehovah God, most likely Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, goes along with two angels to the plains of Mamre. And uh, you know the story that Abraham and Sarah have been promised a child, but yet they've not had a child. And there are multiple times where their faith has been weakened, their faith has been diminished, and they try to look at the situation from a natural mindset, which is going to cause you a lot of problems when there's no natural biological way that you can have a child. Right. The only way that they're going to have a child is for Sarah's womb and Abraham's loins to be resurrected. They were dead. Amen. They were dead. So when you look at things from solely a natural perspective, we are going to limit the power of God. Mm-hmm. Okay? You know, I think about, um, I believe it was Elisha's servant. I get Elijah and Elisha confused a good bit, but I think it was Elisha's servant that uh, went out of their tent one morning, realized they were surrounded by the, the uh, enemy army, and then he hurriedly wakes Elisha up. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then Elisha says, Lord, open this man's eyes. You know, and, it, and it's so interesting. Sometimes we don't realize the practical effect that fear and those kind of things have when we have a lack of faith. He was terrified because of natural fear, because of his perception of the situation. But then God opened his eyes to where now he can look through a spiritual eye. And now all of a sudden, not only did his perception change, but his hope changed. His perspective changed and his faith changed. Why? Because he was able to see the, the reality of the situation through spiritual eyes. You see? He only looked at it through natural eyes. But when, he, but, but when God blessed him to see the reality of the situation that he could not see only with his natural eyes, to see it with a spiritual eye, when he saw the real reality, all of that fear, well, now he had confidence, right? All that fear was dissipated. He had fear and confidence and faith. Why? Because he was able to see things through a spiritual lens. Amen. Okay? And we're going to get into a lot of trouble when we only look at things through a natural lens because we limit God. Amen. We limit the possibilities and the power that God will manifest himself in our life. And here, I understand from a natural perspective why Abraham and Sarah were really concerned that God got his facts crossed about them having a child. Must have been some other lady. Uh, You must have got confused in who you made this promise to because there's no way. (laughs) Biologically, you're right. Biologically, you're right. But guess what? With God, all things are possible. Now, Jesus is speaking to Abraham. 
And he tells him that I will, verse 10, Genesis 18, verse 10, I will certainly return to thee according to the time of life at the appointed time, at the set time, according to God's will. And Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent, which is behind him. And then, skipping to verse 12, and Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Am I waxed old? Shall I have pleasure, my Lord, also being old? Now, Sarah gets, uh, interesting, <clears throat> interestingly enough, that the son that they have, they named him Isaac. Isaac means laughter. <laughs> How appropriate. Uh, not just, you know, Sarah is highlighted here, and the Lord specifically calls, calls her out. Uh, for laughing in her heart, but in the previous chapter, in Genesis chapter 17, when God is telling Abraham to circumcise uh, all the people in his house, again, reiterating the promise, Abraham, the father of faith, fell on his face and laughed. (laughs) She did it just quietly in her heart. Abraham fell on his face and laughed, And, uh, and if I remember correctly, it's after he did that that God said, your your child's gonna be named Isaac. So the, the child is not named laughter because of Sarah laughing in her heart. The child's named laughter because of Abraham falling on his face for not trusting the promise of God laughing. All right? But then, from a natural perspective, I would understand why she would have these reservations. And then the Lord asked. <laughs> the Lord asked Sarah. And, and what an indicting question when you think about the fact of the reason why she was laughing in her heart, the Lord asked very plainly, is anything too hard for the Lord? In that moment, a couple seconds before that, when she laughed in her heart, in her mind, the answer was yes. In her mind, the answer was yes. Mm -hmm. And as I've meditated on this the last few days, especially this verse right here, I'm ashamed how many times the answer to that question in my life is usually yes. Mm-hmm. I look at something and, <laughs> Lord, you met your match now. <laughs> and, and, you know, we almost think, is anything too hard for the Lord? Even, even hardness or easiness, like that's, that's just our perspective. I mean, when God decides to do something, there's no instance where it's like a bigger struggle for him to do it right. in one circumstance as opposed to something else being like a little bit easier. No, it's solely according to, is it, is it his will or not? <laughs> That's the only determining factor. Hardness or easiness is not even a relative term with God. You yeah. see? If he decides to do it, nothing's too hard. And nothing's easy. He just does it. <laughs> but, the Lord asked her, honestly, knowing what she thought in her heart just previously, that laugh indicated that she thought that it was too hard for the Lord for her to have a child. But then he reiterates the promise. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And then Sarah denied it. I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. But is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer to that is no. The answer to that is no. With God, all things are possible. But in a very practical way, through our actions, many times we answer that question and say, is anything too hard for the Lord? Yes. Yes, it is too hard. And we limit God when we do that. 
Let's go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And this is a very in-depth narrative, summary narrative of the nation of Israel uh, wandering through the wilderness. And many times, um, boy, you want to talk about some people that answered yes to the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? They get a little bit hungry and they say, what are we going to do? <laughs> what do we get? They just saw the Red Sea. Right. They just saw them part the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. They just saw this, this army that they were terrified of, strongest military in the whole earth probably, destroyed in the Red Sea. They get a little bit hungry and say, well, the Lord can't handle this. Where are we going to get food from? So God graciously has this miraculous manna come down from heaven. Then they get a little bit thirsty. Well, I don't know where it's going to come from. Okay, let me, let me give you water out of a rock. Right. You know? And then at every single step of the way, they have a, a minute amount of difficulty, and they say in their head, huh, this is too hard for the Lord. <laughs> but you know, you know what's better than us trusting God in the middle of the wilderness? Let's just go back to Egypt and, and trust Pharaoh instead. <laughs> Let's just go back to Egypt because Pharaoh was, took way better care of us than God is going to in the wilderness. You see? <clears throat> Psalm 78. Um, let's just jump in here in verse 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. Their, tongue, their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, he forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all of his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? No doubt. <laughs> That's an understatement. At every single step of the way, they have a minute amount of difficulty. And not just the, that, that period there in the wilderness. Then they actually get to the promised land. They're, they're bewitched by ten of the faithless spies. And that whole generation dies in the wilderness because they literally believed that taking the land of Canaan was too hard for the Lord. They literally believed those giants and the sons of Anak were way too big for God. And, and what was the result of that? They all physically died in the wilderness because they literally said taking the land of Canaan is way too hard for God. He used this language describing this rebellious children of God. Verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God, and this is the, the language, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One. How could anyone limit God? God's sovereign. Amen. <laughs> God's sovereign. There is, uh, he does his, his will perfectly as he sees fit. When he decides to do something, he's going to do it. He does it perfectly in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. But... This is the point I want us to understand. When we limit God, God will choose to limit himself. Amen. Typically. Now, praise God, he's always long-suffering. Praise God, he's always merciful. And even when we limit him, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. Praise God for that. But it's also a principle that we reap what we sow. It's also a principle 
that God gives his children blessings based on a level of obedience that they walk in. And when you limit God, when you tempt God by being faithless, when you limit God, he will limit the amount of power and manifestation of his majesty and glory and power that that you see directly manifested in your life. We see that very clearly with the nation of Israel, don't we? They chose to limit God, and God said, all right, you're going to get what you asked for. You're all going to die in the wilderness. Okay? Now let's go and look at a New Testament example. Um, Let's look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Jesus has returned to Nazareth and he is healing in Nazareth. And then they had a very difficult time back in his childhood home getting over the fact, is this not the, verse 3, is this the carpenter's son? And we know all of his siblings. We know his, his brothers. I mean, he's a regular person like us. How can he be saying that he's the son of God? How can he be saying he's the Messiah? And then Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hand on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. That's right. And he went round about the villages teaching. And that's what it says right there at the beginning of verse 5. He could do no mighty work. Now, was his sovereignty limited in any way of his ability to do it? No. Obviously not. I mean, there's nothing that can limit the sovereignty of God. What limited his ability... Now, now this, this also tells you just how good and loving our God is. Uh, they limited his ability to do mighty works, but he's just so good, he still, still healed a few sick folks. Yeah. <laughs> just out of his goodness and mercy, he was still healing people that stood in need, but there could have been a powerful, mighty manifestation of the power of God manifested in Nazareth, in his natural home, but God limited himself because of their unbelief. I didn't use, uh, I, didn't, I didn't highlight the, the language there in Psalm 78, the word limit, and certainly in our mind, in our English language, that means to restrict the ability But the Hebrew word there literally means to grieve or to pain or to... Don't you know it broke God's heart? Don't you know it broke God's heart for him to do everything he did for them? And then at every step of the way, they look at him and say, you can't handle this. You know, I had this thought and it's it's very convicting. Um... And I almost shy away from saying this, but sometimes it's true. We treat God like a little graven image. Because right. that graven image, it can't do anything. Yeah. It's, it's inanimate. It, it can't move. It, we, believe, we, we serve the living God. That's why he's able to do stuff, right? Because he's living. That's just a graven image. It can't do anything. But if I view God as, a, as unable 
to affect the problems and the concerns of my life, he's no different than a graven image that can't do anything. I look at him and say, you have just as much power in my life as that inanimate graven image that is a false god. These people did not, and, and then God, it says here Jesus marveled at their unbelief, but the language there in the Psalms, it pained God's heart to say, these are my people. I redeemed them out of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea. I've, I've provided them every single step of the way, and they still choose to limit me. They still choose to treat me just like by the way, all of, the, all of those ten plagues of Egypt were directly corresponded to the false gods that, that the Hebrews had got bewitched by That's right. in Egypt. So you got to understand, they had just came, and now, now they still served Jehovah God to a degree, but it was polluted by the Egyptian false gods and the graven images. So they were still coming out of, don't, don't forget that, they're still coming just a few months removed from being totally immersed in a culture of false gods. And then, don't you know that it just broke God's heart instead of believing the promise of God at every step of the way, not only did they say, you're not able, they said, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to Egypt. That, that hurt God at his soul, if you'll let me use that language. That broke God's heart. And don't you know it breaks God's heart for us to look at him and say, you know what? You can't handle this. You can't fix this problem. You can't do that. That's treating him no different than an adamant, false, graven image. And then Jesus said, look, you're the people, going back to Nazareth, you're the people who probably should have received me even more readily. And he was, it says he marveled at their unbelief. It's kind of like, I can't believe this. I can't believe these people. That they are rejecting me as son of God. And it makes it even more succinct in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. A direct correlation. He did not many works there, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They limited the power of God manifested in their life because of a lack of faith unbelief and not trusting God's ability to do anything. Anything. And it's very evident that we are susceptible of falling into that exact same trap. When we look at things solely through a natural lens. <clears throat> we had a conversation in Macedonia on Sunday I appreciated Sister Jamie sharing this uh, about how sometimes she has friends that just are not looking, based on their current perspective, they're not looking for what we have in the Old Baptist Church. 
You know, something as simple as their idea of church is a praise band rock concert. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? We're doing it according to the Bible. But if that's what you think church is, from my perspective, you're not going to be happy in the Primitive Baptist Church. And I realize during uh, that conversation with Jamie and then in aftermath, there are many people... We pray for our churches to grow. We pray for revival. But there are many people who I have that exact same natural mindset of. And I look at them and say, they enjoy, based on my understanding right now, they enjoy shallow, fluff, watered-down preaching. They enjoy a rock concert. They enjoy being the member of the church softball team. And... We, we strip all of that away when you look at the original New Testament church and the simplicity with which they worshiped and they fellowshiped and all that. But I look at that and say, you know what? That's a, that's a slim possibility of that person ever being converted. There's a very slim possibility that that person would ever be happy in the, in the old Baptist church. And I'm doing my best to repent of that mindset. Because every single child of God, I believe, would be the happiest. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there are many children of God that are never going to press into the kingdom in the manner that they ought to. But I believe that every child of God, if they really got it, would be the happiest Amen. in the Primitive Baptist Church. Amen. But I look at everyone else around me through solely natural eyes. And say, you know what, if they're not right here on the precipice, <laughs> you know, sometimes we look at, look at some people and, and we are not Calvinist, but we look at people that are Presbyterian or Calvinist and say, oh, well, they believe in election predestination. That would be an easier convert. Rarely, right. rarely is that the case. Now, now, praise God, there's been a lot of great old Baptists that have come out of the Presbyterian Church, but, right. but some people don't understand the distinctions that are so important between those two, and they act like it's the same, right. and, right. and don't cross over the line and press into the kingdom in the manner they ought to. So I look at someone and say, oh, well, look at this. We have election predestination. We have common ground. That's a very potential convert. <laughs> Sometimes it may be the hardest right. convert. Yeah. What I'm saying is, and I could give multitudes of examples. What I'm saying is, I'm looking at church growth solely through natural eyes and saying, you know what? This is the kind of person that is a possible convert to grow the Primitive Baptist Church. Lord forgive us. Lord forgive us. We need to repent of that mindset. Because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. I mean, who would have been at the... exact bottom of the totem pole of the original church in regards to even being a member of the church, do you think that, that all of them were looking at Saul of Tarsus, taking all of their families to jail and saying, you know what? I'd really love for him to be my pastor. I think he would be a great old Baptist. They would say, you know, Paul later said, Lord, deliver me from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. I guarantee you there were old Baptists that were saying that about Saul a couple years before that. They were saying, Lord, please deliver me from that guy. Because he sure enough don't have faith. And at that moment, he didn't. 
They were praying to be delivered from Saul <laughs> previously. And that's why they were so nervous when supposedly he was converted. I'm sure they all thought he was a Trojan horse getting in there to get all the names and throw all of them in jail and martyr everybody because they looked at it, at least and Ananias did uh, at first blush. He said, uh, <laughs> talking about getting your names crossed, when God first told Ananias, okay, I want you to go see Saul of Tarsus. And he said, who's that again? <laughs> Did you get your names crossed? Uh, maybe, maybe there's Saul of somewhere else. You know, <laughs> Did you say Saul of Tarsus? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let my other preacher friend go preach to him. But then behold, he prayeth, and then he was emboldened to, to go preach to him. But don't you know that Saul was at the very bottom of the totem pole? of what they would have assumed, of what they would have thought, would have been the most mighty, blessed apostle in the establishment of the original church. Amen. And again, I don't have enough time to give you a whole survey of this entire Bible about all of the examples where God did the exact opposite of what people would have assumed, what people would have thought. Ephesians chapter 3. And again... <laughs> Very similar uh, section uh, to what we see at the conclusion of Romans chapter 11. It's concluding the doctrinal portion. And it's almost as if, again, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. But it is the Holy Spirit, but it's almost as if Paul just gets in preacher mode and he just gets excited. <laughs> and he says, he's saying, I'm, I'm bowing money, I'm praying for the church. And more than anything, I'm praying that you be rooted and grounded in love, verse 17, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the, the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Right. It says in Isaiah 55, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, even as the heavens are higher than the earth. And and there's, there's different levels of the heaven in Scripture, and you can study that out. But I don't necessarily think that's even just talking about the atmospheric heaven. Right. I think that's talking about the whole universe. Amen. And you want to talk about billions of light years of this universe that we can't even fathom how big this universe is. And he says, my ways and my thoughts are that much higher than yours. Well, is it any surprising that if this is the capacity of what you can think, and his thoughts are a billion light years above your thoughts... That he can do a billion light years above what you can think? Amen. <laughs> right? Well said. Amen. If his thoughts are that much higher, obviously his ways are that much higher. <laughs> his ability is that much higher. And it's just disappointing how much we put God in a box. How much we limit God. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. The God of all possibilities. And as we close, I want us, especially with this being our first meeting here in this new location, we, we were so blessed with the presence of the Holy Spirit at Macedonia this last weekend. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying 
that that can be a, a jolt and a revival for us. And unfortunately, the world just sapped it back out in the last few days, but we're back here on Wednesday. And, with, and I, don't, I don't believe that it is a coincidence that the, the very next Wednesday after that spiritual blessed, I believe, revival. I mean, we're very hesitant. We're very hesitant to say we're having a revival. Other people use that term, right? And we always say, well, we don't, we don't say we're having a revival. We're having a, a worship meeting because it's very presumptuous of us to say we're going to have revival because the Holy Ghost revival comes from you. It's very presumptuous for us to say that. But we're going to have a church meeting and we're going to pray for revival. <laughs> right? And I know I have felt refreshed and revived. And, and hopefully some of my mindset is being changed. Instead of just looking at, at what God can't do, look at all these churches closing. Look at uh, the kingdom being so diminished. Look at all of these, these, these churches that all they're doing is struggling and, and all of this. Well, you know what? God can send by the power of his Holy Spirit a revival in every single one of the primitive But I guarantee you, he won't do it if we keep living in God. <laughs> he won't do it if we keep saying he can't. Right, I mean, if we keep looking at the kingdom and say, man, man, what's God going to do? I mean, I know, I know he said his kingdom's going to be here. So I guess there'll be one church left when Jesus comes back at the second time. I mean, yes, there will be a light. So I guess somewhere in this world, there's going to be a group of 10 people when Jesus comes back. <laughs> I don't think that's what that means. I don't think that, that he's saying there's going to be one little bitty group of 10, 10 people in some other church, some other country that's saying when I come back, they're going to be worshiping spirit and truth. We look at the kingdom and say, oh, you know, I, I, hey, I want to be realistic. I, I, I think personally that we're in the midst of the falling away. Okay? And I think we need to be realistic about that. By the way, the parable of the sower, y'all don't have anywhere to be tonight, right? You talk about the parable of the sower. That's in Matthew chapter 13. And that is right on the heels of him sending out the apostles in Matthew chapter 10. And boy, they were excited when they came back and they said, we were casting out devils and we were healing sick. And it's almost like Jesus said, all right, now praise God that you did that. But now I want to give you the right perspective. Right. Okay. I want you to understand it's not always going to be like that. Don't you know that early church? It's not always going to be like the day of Pentecost. It's not always going to be like that. So what did he give them? What did he give those apostles that acted like everywhere they go, they're like Harry Potter with a, with a magic stick and they're going to you know, cast out devils and you think, you think everywhere you go, you're just going to be performing magic tricks everywhere. He said, look, now, now this is not a direct percentage, but if you look at the allocation of that parable of the sower, all those children of God who heard the word and only 25% of them are good ground. And only 8% of the whole group is 100-fold good ground. In other words, you're going to have a lot of people that don't listen to you. You're going to have a lot of children of God that don't act right. And they're going to act right for a little bit, but they're going to get caught up in the world and get choked out by the thorns. And they're going to become unfruitful. But you're going to have a few good 100-fold uh, good ground folks that are going to be the backbone of the kingdom, but you don't need to act like it's going to be like this all the time. Right. You're going out casting out devils. It's not going to be like this all the time. And it's almost like he was kind of bringing them back down to earth a little bit. That's right. <laughs> so well, I say that to say we need to be realistic. We need to be realistic about where we're at. 
We need to be realistic about the state of our churches, but we can't look at the churches and say, well, that one's a goner, that one's a goner, that one's a goner. Instead, to say, with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. But, I, but I'm also going to be realistic. If we limit God, that church is a goner. Right. If we don't believe God is able, that church is a goner. <laughs> but God is the God of all possibilities. Okay? So with this being on, on the heels of, of our very blessed meeting in Macedonia, praise God for that, and this being our very first meeting, I would like to have an additional time of prayer before we have uh, a closing hymn and all the males that feel comfortable, uh, I would ask you to pray during this time and pray specifically, pray specifically for our individual churches, but also for this location right here. This is the very first location we're, uh, meeting we're having here in 200 West Garrett Road, New Covenant Church. And, and I believe middle of, middle of December, I was thinking, man, we're in a pickle. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where we're going to go now that the Lakendian's kicking us out. And now we have this very good location with good facilities. And a, I believe this is, this is ideal. I really do. And I pray that God would use this as an open door. As an open door. To bring people into the kingdom. Because God is able. Amen. God is able. He's the God of all possibilities. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.